First, a word of gratitude to our seminary candidate and servers, our scola and our organist, and our tech crew that, uh, through their collaborative effort, allow us to give you today's live stream. Today is traditionally the May crowning, while secular society celebrates Mother's Day, the Catholic Church uses this opportunity to celebrate our Heavenly Mother and also to inspire her children to also show signs of gratitude to the Mother on Earth that Divine Providence granted them. In this aspect of Mother's Day, at the conclusion of today's Mass, I will lead you all in the prayer, in the renewal of the consecration of the United States to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. That prayer can be found on our social media. Also, after this live stream, devotions will continue at the church. Please know that we maintain perpetual adoration all day, every day, and there will also be the clergy processing with this Blessed Mother statue in the streets of our neighborhood and leading the rosary on this Mother's Day. And in an effort to lead by example, let us keep also our mothers uh, here on earth in our prayers, offer them prayers and tokens of gratitude on this special day. And I ask for your prayers in particular for all the mothers of priests as they are conformed to Our Lady in a very special way, uh, being a mother of an altar Christus. O God, you make the minds of the faithful of one will. Grant to your people to love that which you command and to desire that which you promise, so that amid the changes of this world, our hearts may be fixed where there are true joys. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Dear souls, today's collect offers us stability. Today's collect invites us to a higher perspective. Today's collect encourages us to the very things we should love and desire after. And that will place our hearts in true joy. Allow me to reread today's collect one more time before developing its explanation. Listen carefully to its composition, each word carefully chosen. O oh God, you make the minds of the faithful of one will. Grant to your people to love that which you command and to desire that which you promise so that amid the changes of this world, our hearts may be fixed where there are true joys. When you are shaken or 
you're in doubt, when you need counsel or comfort, you go to your mother. Today, I encourage you to not only go to our Heavenly Mother, the Blessed Virgin, but go to your mother. Go to Holy Mother Church. The voice of Holy Mother Church is clearly expressed in the liturgy. The liturgy offers us the words of Holy Mother Church. When we need her clarity, we turn to her. Perhaps you noticed in this inspired conlict, part of today's liturgy, the word amid. Holy Mother Church used this word long before it was in vogue of today's headlines. And what else does she tell us in this collect? That the changes of this world are certain. We know that. We must reject secular vocabulary. We must reject all these prefaces and turns of phrases amid these uncertain times. Dear souls, it has always been certain that the world changes. It has always been certain that the world is full of contradictions. It has always been certain that material goods are fleeting. It has always been certain that our health depends more on divine providence than our own little efforts. That is certain. What else is certain? That we ought to love that which God commands. That we ought to desire that which God promises. So why would we ever place the desires of our hearts in the authorities of the world? Why would we seek to love and find comfort in the things of this valley of tears? And so the liturgy guides us. Holy Mother Church teaches us what we should pray for. What is the grace that this Mass is asking for? That the people of God love that which He commands, and that the people of God desire that which He promises. And when we love that which God commands and desire that which He promises, then amid the changes of the world, our hearts remain fixed where there are true joys. Dear souls, you've heard in the world again and again us talk about the rights of man. You've heard from the very pulpit in St. Joseph us talk about the rights of God. And it would be a timely occasion to offer that teaching again. Yet timelier still, 
would be today's opportunity to talk about the rites of the baptized. Have you been catechized in what the rites of a baptized soul are? And when I say rites of the baptized, I am saying the rite as in the case of law, R-I-G-H-T, and not the rite R-I-T-E, as in the ritual. There are the rites of the baptized. Now, to develop this doctrine, we must offer very important distinctions. The first important distinction is that every gift of the supernatural order, every grace of the supernatural order is absolutely and freely given to us by God without it being owed, without it being due to our lowly nature. But once God himself has elevated us to that order of the supernatural, Once God himself has placed us in the supernatural order of divine life by baptism, then there are things that he must offer us that are suitable to that life. Otherwise, it would be nonsense. Let us offer a very important analogy to help understand in the natural order of things. God does not owe us anything in of itself. He doesn't owe us our existence. He didn't have to create us. But once God created us, once he endowed us with a human nature, once he granted unto us a human nature that has an appetite, that needs food to sustain life, well then within that context he owed it to us to also create edible food. Otherwise it would be nonsensical to create a human nature and not provide that which it needs to sustain life. You see already where this goes in the supernatural order of things. God, in calling us to participate in his supernatural life and in bestowing upon us that life in baptism, it would be nonsensical for God to elevate his creature to the supernatural order and life in baptism and then not also provide a supernatural remedy for when we fall or a supernatural nourishment to be sustained in that life or ministers to provide. 
again. Look at the natural order of things. It would be nonsensical for God to create a human nature and have it develop from infancy and be so fragile and not provide parents from whence the child came. Or a duty of the parents to provide for that child. Again, it is the same in the supernatural order. If we are born into the life of grace through the ministry of Holy Mother Church, then Holy Mother Church is also endowed with the supernatural capacity to provide supernaturally for her children. And so she has fathers. She has consecrated priests who alone on this earth have the supernatural capacity to absolve sin and to celebrate the Mass as commanded by Christ himself to do this in memory of him, to renew that sacrifice and to provide the bread of life so that the souls may be nourished. And so if you are a baptized soul, while you must never presume on God's grace, while you must never think that a confession is due to you, you absolutely have the right to seek confession and to seek nourishment. God does not put you in an impossible situation where he would elevate you to the supernatural order by baptism and then not offer you a possibility for that supernatural life to be sustained. And so a priest of the new law has no right to refuse that possibility of spiritual absolution and nourishment. And remember, we're talking about the life of grace. And so when you're in that life, when you are alive in grace, you can receive that sacrament of nourishment. And when you are not alive in the life of grace through mortal sin, it's not the sacrament of nourishment that you have a right to just yet. It's that sacrament of absolution that you have a right to. And so, dear priests, let us be faithful to our vocation in providing the sacraments. We are called to always find a way. An anecdote of grave lesson from just the other week. It saddened our priestly hearts here at St. Joseph's Shrine to learn that a soul nearby was being condemned by a local secular news outlet 
and the reporter made the remark, So you think your priest should die for you? How selfish of you. Could we be any further from the truth, dear souls? Absolutely and of course, the priest should be willing to die for you, to give you the sacraments. That is our vocation. We are an altar Christus, another Christ, Christ who died on the cross for us. And so if you do not expect your priest to die for you, then perhaps you need to revisit what it means to be a priest. And if you are a priest and are not willing to go to that extreme for providing the sacraments, then let us pray for a deep retreat to return to the root of our vocation. Just a couple weeks ago, we celebrated Good Shepherd Sunday, and our Lord himself taught the flock how to recognize the difference between a mercenary and a good shepherd. The mercenary does not lay down his life. The good shepherd does. And then other replies to these objections. There are many. Let's just choose one. (laughs) To say that it is tempting God to be willing to provide for the sacraments is again the world's thinking upside down. Of course, we can do things intelligently. As our superior reminds us, intelligence is a gift of the Holy Spirit. You're also allowed to ask for it. We can do things intelligently. But do you know what is really tempting God? To tell the faithful to remain faithful in a supernatural order, in the supernatural life, in the supernatural life of grace without providing the supernatural God-given means to stay in the state of grace or to return to a state of grace. That is tempting God to go against the supernatural order that he established and still expect the faithful to live in that supernatural order. Again, take an analogy from the natural order to help you understand. A father must provide nourishment for his children. Think of desperate times or in times of wilderness where the father would have to go hunting to provide food for his wife and children. Imagine the father thinking, oh, but to go hunting is tempting God because there are beasts in the wild and I could die hunting. And then how would I provide for my family? 
Well, you still have the duty to provide. You better refine your methods of hunting and bring the meat home to nourish your family. In the supernatural orders of things as well, look at the history of the church. In times of persecution, in times of plague, she always provided the sacraments. She always found a way to nourish her faithful. And so let us conclude with an excerpt on not only confession and the Eucharist that were touched upon just now, but on the necessity of the holy sacrifice of the Mass. This is an excerpt from Nicholas Gere's work on the holy sacrifice of the Mass explained, and in particular in the chapter on how the Mass is the source and center of the Catholic life. The Eucharistic sacrifice is the most glorious crown of the great work of salvation, and at the same time the living memorial of all the mysteries of Christ. All that is mysterious and divine, majestic and edifying in religion, in the Incarnation, in the Catholic Church and her Holy Year. All this is combined and enclosed in the liturgy of the Mass as in a focus. Whoever considers this devoutly in the spirit of a lively faith cannot fail to grow strong and increase in virtue and merit. Above all, the Eucharistic sacrifice brings vividly before the mind the passion and death of Christ, the God-man. Amid the joys of Christmas and the triumph of Easter, Mount Calvary, with its eternal seriousness, remains the central point of every sacrificial celebration. The Confitior and the Kyrie eleison, for example, are never suppressed from the Mass regardless of the season. Hence it follows that the faithful, when hearing Mass, should devoutly dwell and revere the passion and death of Jesus. No time is more proper for this devout meditation than the sacred time of Mass, when the Lamb of God is mystically immolated before our eyes. Assuredly, it is not difficult during the celebration of Mass to place oneself beneath the cross and embrace it. For the vestments of the priest, the crucifix on the altar, and the many signs of the cross, the mingling of the water and the wine, the separate elements of bread and wine, the elevating of the sacrificial offerings, the breaking of the hosts, the movements of the celebrant at the altar, in short, 
the entire rite of the Mass represents the various mysteries of the Passion, reminding us what numerous and bitter sufferings Christ endured for us, giving his life by dying the most cruel death for us. At every Mass, place yourself in spirit at the foot of the cross with our sorrowful mother and with the virginal disciple of St. John, the penitent St. Mary Magdalene, and there represent to yourself the precious blood of Jesus trickling down upon you. Think of the pains and wounds Jesus endured, of the vinegar and gall, the nails and the lance. How can you remain cold and unconcerned? And dare I add how you think this be unessential? Should not your soul at the thought of such mysteries as were accomplished on Mount Calvary for your sake and which are mystically renewed upon the altar, have your heart be inflamed with love, contrition, and gratitude? In the wounds and pains of Jesus, there is a countless number of reproaches to us for our cowardice and our sloth. In the, servants of, in the service of God, for the inconsistency of our will, for our aversion to trials, privations, and humiliations. As often as thou sayest or hearest Mass, it's written in the imitation of Christ, it ought to appear to thee as great and as new and as delightful as if Christ had that very same day, for the first time, descended into the virgin's womb and became man, or hanging on the cross was suffering and dying for the salvation of mankind. Thus, the frequent and devout participation in the holy sacrifice of the Mass is a school spurring us on to the practice of every virtue and perfection. In this school, we shall be instructed in the science of salvation and of the saints only when the liturgy of the Mass for us is not a closed book sealed with seven seals, but when we penetrate through the shell into the kernel and understand what mysteries are therein concealed, and what is the meaning of the rite of the sacrifice and of its prayers and ceremonies. The Mass is not only a school which directs us and incites us to the practice of the different virtues. The Mass is also an inexhaustible fountain from which gushes forth grace and strength necessary to lead the life of sacrifice enjoined upon the church militant here below and her children to the end of this earthly pilgrimage. Then all sorrow 
will be changed to joy. And after this brief combat, we will have an eternal triumph in heaven, having been forgiven by confession, nourished by the Eucharist, and incessantly taught by the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Amen. Our Lady, standing at the foot of the cross, our Heavenly Mother, pray for us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.